that social media has proliferated. It is gurus who are going to tell you how to get more out of your day or how to get more out of your life. They're everywhere. They're going to tell you how to get up in the morning. They're going to tell you how to meditate. They're going to tell you to take a nice bath. They're going to tell you to do an hour of Pilates and an hour of cardio and do all this before the kids get up to school. My favorite of all of them is Mark Wahlberg. Yes, Marky Mark, who in the early 90s paraded around in his tiny whiteies with the Funky Bunch. He has all sorts of Instagram videos of him getting up at 2.30 every morning. And then he works out, and then he prays, and then he reads his Bible. He's got this whole little area in his gym that's got, like, he's, he's, he's a very devout Catholic, and it's a very Catholic area. So. Anyway. Um, and then he does a bunch of other stuff, and then he does some work, and then he does a second workout later in the morning. After that. And then he goes off to work and whatever project, and then he comes home and does his family time, and then he goes to bed like by 8 o'clock, but then he gets up at 2.30 again. I mean, I'm exhausted just watching the videos. <laughs> he a nap after he gets up at 2.30 the first time to do his chest and tries. But I will say if there's one thing that these various gurus of time and life management agree on, and that I agree with, it's, and I think it's clearly a truism, is that if you, if you want something, if we want something in our lives, we have to make it a conscious priority and take steps to make it happen. It doesn't just happen by magic. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because you just wish it to happen. I mean, if that's the case, there'd be a Petros guitar hanging in my arms. There's not a Petros guitar in my arms. Partially because a Petros guitar costs about what a new house costs. That's one problem. <laughs> but clearly my, my mom's wishing it has not brought it into me, and nor is it going to. Because I don't believe in any of that weird, you know, you've got to tell the universe what you want stuff. If we want something in our lives, it has to be a priority. Now, if you recall, a few years ago, uh, some of you got to meet my friend, Pastor Ben Brown. He stayed with us there. He is his wife, Misty, who was told by multiple doctors that she would never have a child. They have seven now. Um, yeah, the God sometimes has other plans. He, he stayed with us a few years ago on his way to Yankton, South Dakota to start a new pastorate there. And he got in real late that night at 11 o'clock. We stayed up till one or two in the morning or something talking. And remember, I'm the guy who goes to bed by 8 o'clock. But not because I get up at 2.30 to work out with Mark and Mark. But, um, you know, I do get up fairly early. Um, but we just were enjoying ourselves so much and having a great talk, uh, we just didn't want to go to bed. And I tell you that because I want to ask you, when was the last time you had some time with Jesus that was like that? I mean, where you just didn't want it to end, where your fellowship with the Savior, your time in His Word, your time in prayer was just so amazing that you just didn't want it to end. Where you were like, Jesus, I hate to go, but you know, i got to leave for work now. And I do not want to have to violate Romans 13 on the way to work and create a conflict with my boss because I'm like, that kind of time, Jesus. And maybe I can even ask, and you don't have to answer this, but I'm just going to throw this out for you to meditate upon. Maybe you've never had a time with Jesus like that. I mean, and well, honestly, when was the last time you heard someone talk about their time with the Lord, and they described it as just so rich and blessed, and how they hated to even see it in. Because you just don't hear that talk very much. Let me introduce you to Mechthilde of Magdeburg. She lived in the 1200s. They didn't have photographs back then, so this is the best you can. She was a German Benguin. Am I pronouncing that right? Benguin? Am I saying that correctly? Hopefully. They were voluntary monastics. They didn't take formal vows, but they lived humbly and they worked with the poor and they devoted their lives to prayer. Both men and women could be Bedouins. She wrote this. I delight in loving him who loves me, and I long to love him to the death, boundlessly and without ceasing. Be happy, my soul, for your life has died for love of you. Love him so fiercely that you could die for him. 
Thus you burn evermore without ever being extinguished as a living flame in the vast fire of high majesty. I mean, does that sound like your last time reading the Bible? I, I, were you uh, going to be devoured in the living flame of the vast fire? Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard anybody talk about their quiet time like that? I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest, you know, I don't get up at 2.30 in the morning, but I get up about 4 or 4.30, and my mornings are generally not like that. The only fire is like maybe in my lower back. <laughs> yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, even if I have two cups of coffee before 6 a.m., I'm still not playing. Well, I would like to propose three premises this morning. Three premises. First of all, number one, this is the guru premise, okay? We all make time for whatever we feel are the most important or the greatest things we can do. Premise number two, the greatest or most important thing that we can do is develop a deep relationship with Jesus. Premise number three, we do not develop a deep relationship with Jesus because for whatever reasons, we do not think it's the greatest thing we can do in this life. Now, I'm assuming number one is axiomatic, okay? I'm just going with number one that you're just going to have to accept that. We all do whatever, you know, we think is the most important or the greatest thing. Y'all get, we all get 24 hours a day, right? I mean, nobody gets any more than 24 hours a day. I like to sleep part of those 24 hours a day. But we all get the same one. And we spend it according to what we desire the most at the particular time. Now, you might say, no, wait a minute, Pastor. Just wait a minute. I have to go to work, but it is not what I desire necessarily at that time. I would just assume not going to work. I like vacation. But I'm going to tell you I disagree. Here's why. Because you like to pay the bills and you like to I like to eat. I like to have my bills paid. Well, work happens to be the normal means to that. Now, maybe if you're retired, I get it. You know, you work, you did the work part of your life, and now you're, you know, living off the, the proceeds of that. And that's awesome, praise the Lord. Um, but the normal means to all these things is work. Now, the work itself may not be how you necessarily wish you could spend your time all the time. But the results you get from work are a higher priority than what you would get if you do not work because you have a roof over your head and food on the table and gas in the car and have a car and all of these things that are required to survive in our society. And you would not have those if you did not work. And again, no one is, is holding a gun to your head and forcing you to go to work, but you understand that the consequences of not going to work, mm, don't like those, so you're going to work. You want to because you prioritize food on the table and clothes for your kids and all that kind of stuff. And if your kids are like some of these modern kids, like my kids, you know, the Walmart clothes apparently in town. And same for everything else. How we spend our time. Whether it's going to watch a football game, right? You watched the, the Lions last night. Get whatever because it was. Bad calls. You're going to watch Ohio State lose last night. Ah, bless the Lord. Or you're taking your spouse out for dinner, or you're going to read a book, or whatever. I don't really care. At the very least, we're going to spend our time on things because the consequences of not prioritizing those things are not what we want, and they're therefore the things we want to do when we want to do. But we're going to take the other two premises now in light of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, which says, Paul is, is writing here, and he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, these are Paul's words on knowing Jesus. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to give you some very practical ways to put this into practice. Okay, you get the theory this Sunday, you get the practice next Sunday. 
And then after that, we go back to our regularly scheduled program of the book of Colossians until Palm Sunday, which is early this year, because Easter is on the 31st of March. So we'll be, we'll be to Resurrection Sunday before you know what hit us in the face. But what's going to hit you in the face is Colossians. And believe me, the second half of Colossians hits you in the face. So, premise number two, knowing Christ is simply the greatest thing there is. And that's what Paul just told us. Now remember, Paul is writing this, he's in prison, right? Because Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're called the, <coughs> excuse me, prison epistles. At best, at best, he was on house arrest and had to have people provide for him so he could survive as he couldn't leave his rented place in Rome while he awaited trial. At worst, maybe some of that time he was actually in Roman prison with the accompanying rats and filth and the bucket, if you know what I mean. Now you gotta remember, that is a pretty, pretty long drop from where Paul started. Because Paul was the, the rising star among the Pharisees. He was likely one day to become the head of the Jerusalem Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. <coughs> I mean, if you think about this guy, in Jewish circles of the time, he was a rock star. I mean, in the verses right before this, Paul tells us his Jewish credentials. And they're as impressive as it can get. Look at verses 4 through 6. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, according to his life, <clears throat> I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. As far as you could go, as a Jew, at the time, he was the man. It didn't get no better. And everybody knew it. And if they didn't know it, he probably would have made sure they knew it. And then... He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he tosses all that aside. All of his friends and associates, gone. All of his prestige, gone. All of his position, all of his political power and religious power. And knowing what we know historically about Jewish leaders of the time, all of his current and potential wealth, gone. He had, by the worldly standards of Israel at the time, he had it all, and he gave it all up. And now he is writing us a letter from prison in Rome. And what he tells us in that letter is that he has happily traded it all to know Jesus. In fact, he refers to knowing Christ as of surpassing worth. The Greek word there is hooper echo. Literally, to hold above all other things. Over everything. Says he counts everything else as loss. He holds knowing Christ above all things. Compared to everything Paul had or could imagine, nothing was greater, nothing is greater than knowing Jesus. <clears throat> now, when I read that, I think about that. I think about who Paul was and who he became once he met Jesus. I wonder about how few of us would, and I, and I say I say how few of us because I feel this too, would even trade our relative material comfort to know Jesus more. If we really searched our hearts, would we be willing to give a bunch of things up if it helped us to know Jesus more? I mean, when I start to think about that, I'm kind of ashamed of my own heart, which loves comfort and ease, and guitars, and a variety of food to eat, and my relatively pain-free life, except when they're all together now. Which I fear I am not willing to trade much of, easily to know Jesus more. Something to think about. Now when Paul is talking here about knowing Christ, he's not talking about Bible facts and doctrines. He is going to tell us, knowing Christ is more than knowing about Christ. Those of you who don't know her, it's my wife Jen there. Hi. She's a little bit over five feet tall. She was born in Indiana. She lived in Connecticut. 
during her junior high years. She went to Ivy Tech for college. She was 19 when she came to Christ. She had a Ford Pinto in high school, <laughs> and yet has no burn marks. <laughs> she was working for a law firm called Barnes and Thornburg when we met. Here, when we moved here, she's worked for both the Dutton and the Beecher law firms, both times for the same thing. And you know what, I can tell you all that, and none of those facts mean you know Jen. They're just facts. You know something about her now, but that is vastly different than knowing her. Because I know how to make her laugh. I know what makes her sad. These days, a lot of things. Mostly me. I can finish her sentences sometimes. Sometimes I know exactly what she wants from me without me even telling her. Or should we do one of those things? Other guys know what I'm talking about too. He always and you're like, oh, you want that? Yeah. I know it makes her angry. Also, I know it breaks her heart. That's what it means to know Jim. Not just know about her. And unfortunately, it's very easy for us to substitute knowing about Christ instead of actually knowing him. Him as a person. Him as our Lord and Savior. Him as one who loves us and lives in us. Paul never says he wants to know about Jesus, <clears throat> which is not to say that knowing what the Bible says about Jesus is not useful. Of course it's useful. But it is not the same as knowing Jesus personally and intimately. Knowing about Jesus is obviously an important step. I need to know who he is, how he's the son of God, how he's fully God and fully man, how he's the third person of the triune God, etc., etc. Those are good starting points. But just as over time, talking and living with and experiencing life with Jen took me from knowing about her to knowing her, we need to talk with and live with and experience life with Jesus to know him as he desires us to. Let me throw out this verse that you're probably familiar with from Isaiah 55. I mean, that's a, that's a loaded chapter. We could have a whole sermon series just on Isaiah 55. In fact, that's pretty true of most every chapter in Isaiah. But anyway, <coughs> this is a very well-known couple of verses from that chapter. God says to the prophet, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, but that passage reminds me of what's essential to knowing someone, not just knowing about them. To know God is to understand his ways and thoughts, especially in relationship to our ways and thoughts. How is God's ways different than my ways? How? how how are his thoughts higher than my thoughts? We want to not just know facts and doctrines about Jesus and his teaching. We want to know the Son of God in a personal and intimate way so that we can know and understand his thoughts and his ways. And if we want all the things that Jesus offers, because Jesus offers a lot, right? Love, peace, joy, rest, all that stuff is the fruit of the Spirit and then some more. They don't come from facts and doctrines. You can't doctrine your way to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I'm missing that. But anyway. What was it? Which one I missed? Patience. Thank you. Patience. I have kindness, but just patience. <clears throat> See, I know if I waited long enough. <laughs> I'll leave now. <laughs> All that stuff doesn't come from facts and doctrines. They come from a person. They come from knowing the person of Jesus. But as with so many things, there is a warning. There's a caveat. Let's go back to the end of verse 8. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Because you see, knowing Christ is going to require some sacrifice. When he says he suffered loss, the root there has to do with losing material wealth or suffering a permanent physical injury. It means there could be some pain involved. Knowing Jesus intimately means we've got to give some stuff up and it might not be comfortable. It's not like, you know what? 
I could give up broccoli. In fact, I'm going to tell you, to be quite honest, I have pretty much given up broccoli. In fact, I don't think I've ever started broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Okay? Yeah, see, I don't ever. No raisin shall pass through the That's not how I like my serving your church, you want to be part of your community and all that, and you got kids stuff, and kids come along, you got kids stuff you got to do, and that takes some time. But I can promise you over that time, if, if as the marriage progresses, if we do not give sufficient time to continuing to grow our relationship with our spouse, we should not be surprised when problems develop. An example, I have this client. He got a divorce. He, he, by his own admission, spends about 80% of his free time, his non-work time, hunting or fishing. I was not surprised when he got divorced. We're talking one time, 
And he's telling me about how much he loves this woman and how he wants her back. But he just can't change. He's been a hard fit all the time. And I really didn't have the heart to tell him that, honestly, A, you're not going to get her back. B, you probably really don't truly love her. Because if you truly love her, you'd probably be willing to make some sacrifices. And you're not willing to make sacrifices. You're still the one. And he's still loves Let me quote uh, Francis Chan. He says, it was simple for Paul. He loved being with Jesus. To live as Christ and to die as gain, he says in Philippians 1.21. Knowing Christ deeply consumed him. There is no substitute for being alone with God. If you don't have time, you need to quit something to make room. Skip a meal. Cancel a meeting. End some regular commitment. There is literally nothing more important you can do today. God literally determines whether or not you take another breath. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything Acts 1725. Could anything be more important than meeting with the one who decides if you live through this day? Could anything be better? How can we not make time to be with the maker of time? What plans do you have today that you think are so important that you would race past the creator to get to them? Let me go back to my three premises. Number one. We all make time for whatever we feel is the most important or greatest thing we can do. Number two, the greatest and most important thing we can do is develop a deep relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Paul. And number three, we don't develop a deep relationship with Jesus because for whatever reasons, we don't think it's really the greatest thing we can do in this life. But it is really the greatest thing we can do in this life. A deep, personal relationship with Jesus. What's going to change our lives in every way for the better is growing deep in our relationship with Jesus. But you see, the wanting is one thing. The will to commit to growing close to the Savior is entirely another. We have to be willing, premise number three, to suffer the loss of whatever's keeping us from that deep, intimate relationship with the one who died and rose again for us. And exchange that for some other things that will help us grow closer to Jesus, which we will talk about next week. The practical things we can do to put this into practice. You know, and, and the thing is, Jesus is not forcing any of this on you. But he's offering the greatest thing any of us could ever experience on this side of heaven, and that is himself. For 2024, are we going to embrace committing to knowing Jesus as the greatest thing in our lives? Or are we just going to go on like we have done? Jesus is your choice in us. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowing him is truly the greatest thing. And yet, even as I say that, I know how easy. Spending time with the Lord is crowded out by every other thing. And I mean, not even things that are bad. It's not like we're out doing sinful, nasty, horrible things. We do good things. But even the good can be the enemy of the best. Or the greatest. And the greatest is knowing you. So for the next year, Lord, help us to know you more and deeper and better. And to do what it takes to make that happen.
May you know the grace of the Lord Jesus and the power of his resurrection in this new year. God bless. Go in peace.
Thank you. 